podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the West London Sport QPR podcast. I'm Dan Bailey. I'm joined by Ian McCullough of West London Sport and former QPR striker Kevin Gallen. Uh, at the risk of sounding all doom and gloom so early on in the season, it is now four games without a win for QPR in all competitions, drawing one all with Rotherham on Saturday. Um, Ian, you were there at the game. What were your kind of main takeaways from this one? What, what did you learn from it, do you think? Um, what I learned from it, after it was much better than it was against Blackpool. Um, really, they should have been out of sight. Should have won. Could have won a game four or five. Four very, very presentable chances in the six-yard box that should have been finished. And really, Senny didn't have a save to make. And the only thing he had to do was kind of put the ball out the net because, you know, once again, free kick into the box, failing to clear the ball in the box, and you know it's fallen to Agbene, and he's just sort of side-footed it in. But that aside, uh, it was pretty positive. I thought. I thought. The kind of Willock and Laird kind of linking up that looked really as, as the game progressed, that got better and better. Willock grew into the game. He looks still not he's not fully there yet. He's probably about 70% from what I can see. So it's a good 80 minutes for him. Uh Ilias Chairs, best game of the season, played really well. You know, still a little bit too guilty of kind of doing one thing too many, just trying to do too much rather than um, you know, just Laying the ball off a bit earlier, but yeah, I thought it was by and large it was it was much better. And but they didn't win this draw, so you look at it and go, well, it's definitely two points dropped. But you know, from a from a footballing point of view, I thought there was you know lots more to to like than there was against Blackpool, and um, you can see signs of what Bill wants to do from what he wants from the team, and. Um, yeah, so I thought I come away thinking it was much better, but again, they should have won quite comfortably, but didn't. Yeah, I, w- I watched the game this morning on the website, and I just I thought overall, like I say, it was a good performance. There's plenty to like about it, but Kev, I mean, it's kind of like at risk of repeating ourselves last week, but just the missed chances again. I mean, how many did they have to score? And when you're playing Robin at home and you want to have a successful season in the championship, these are the games you've got to be winning. And once again, all the chances getting created, performance was good, but. Just didn't take him, did they? No, but that uh, I would just be at least you're creating chances. That's that's I think that's more important um, than you know being an ex striker where you're not you think you're not getting any service or you're not you play on a Saturday and you come in after the game and you think I didn't have a shot and goal there and you're really disappointed and then you do have uh, chances to score. And unfortunately, then QPR are not taking those chances at the moment. But um, you'd rather have the chances and then you can sort of analyse where you went wrong when you didn't uh, finish those chances. So obviously very disappointing when you, you miss, uh, like Ian said, four clear-cut really good chances to put the game to bed and collect three points. But I would just say at least you're creating chances and that is a positive. Yeah, so 17 shots they had in the game and one goal and they've had so many shots this season and not scored enough and it's pretty obvious where the problems lie at the moment. I mean, it was a similar problem sort of in Mark Warburton's early days as well, wasn't it, where the team just weren't taking the chances but they were playing okay. But yeah, I thought there was like, you know, seeing Roberts, Willock and Chair play for the first time or 
one of the first times together was really encouraging. I thought I quite like the way they all linked up together. They don't all just kind of stay in their positions, do they? They kind of go to one side of the pitch and link up with each other. Um, so I thought there was a lot to like about it. Like you say, Ian Laird going forward from fullback was quite positive as well. But I suppose the big thing, Kevin, and obviously I don't want to blame him too much because it wasn't just Dykes this time, but you know, he had the big chance where Roberts trying to did the fake dummy and didn't quite come off, but luckily it went straight through to him clean for on Garwin. Tonight, it just looks to me like he's a bit indecisive about what he wants to do at the moment when he gets, like the same with the one against Blackpool when it comes to him right in front of the goal, who didn't really look like he knew what he wanted to do. Same with this one, he just didn't get enough power behind it, kind of tried to curl it into the far corner, but didn't have enough power and was quite a weak shot in the end. Do you, are you kind of seeing like, is that what, like lack of confidence, do you think? Or he just, it seems to decision decisions sorry aren't quite there at the moment he's not being decisive in what he wants to do I think that the word is there is decisive because Dyke since he's been at the club has sort of been on these uh, runs where you know he hasn't I mean did you say before did you go 20 games without a goal I mean yeah so I think that yeah he went 20 I'm pretty sure it was 20 around if it wasn't 20 exactly it was around that he sort of goes through stages where he he, he doesn't get a goal for months doesn't look like he's going to score and then he can um, go on a run where he can score, bang a few in. And, and that was the case, especially in that first season uh, when he came that couldn't score a goal. And then the end of the season, everything sort of, you know, just come naturally. And when he did have the chance to score, he would just hit it first time and bang it in straight away without thinking. So sometimes when you're a striker, you, 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 you don't want to think about it too much. You want to sort of, Get your goals on instant. Well, because with the goals he scored, there were free kick that went into the box with the header. It's not he. You don't have time to think about it. Do you? you just head it into the far corner. Whereas, like with the two chances I just mentioned, he knows they're coming. Yeah. Almost, he's got time to think about it, which maybe is the weakness. I don't know. So yeah, so look, the game against Blackpool when he was presented with really well, one real, the one where he thought he was offside, he was very indecisive there, and, he, and like you said, a little bit too much time to think about it. But also, there was one when there was a cutback from Laird, I think, in the first half. Yeah. He didn't really mean... Like what I'm saying, he didn't really mean it. He sort of was a bit of a half-hearted shot. And uh, I think he's going through a little bit of um crisis in his, his confidence because every chance he seems to get, he has time and he's just... He needs to just... My advice to him would be hard and low. And hit it as hard as possible and low. And usually, that's like that would be my default uh, thing for a striker: just go hard and low across the goalkeeper. Keeper saves it. Hopefully, someone comes in for a tap in. But that's you've got to get back to basics and get back to basics quick. Yeah, because the chance. Sorry, Danny. The, the chance he had before half time. I mean, he just he got it on target. The, keep, the keeper saved it sort of quite easily, but there was no real venom in the strike and. He has scored sort of the goals he has scored. I mean, I recall one at Rotherham, I think, a couple of years ago, where he just kind of, you know, put his laces for it and put it in the top corner. He's the goal against Brentford when Bright Samuel crossed it to him as a similar sort of position. And I don't know, Kevin, is that something that is that a sign of a player lacking confidence when the sort of he's not putting his laces for it? It's almost like he's trying to not kick it too hard in case it goes over the bar. Is that sort of or is it just a collective thing of? I think that obviously um, when you're getting chances and you're missing them, your confidence, you've got, that's why centre forward is probably the toughest position. And you, you might 
think I'm being biased because I was an ex. <laughs> you're sort of judged on your goals as well. And if you don't score, but if you don't score and you're adding something to the team with your hold up playing, creating, then that that's that helps. But ultimately, you want to score and you're there to score. And um, I just feel like he is going through a little bit of a confidence um, crisis. And uh, the sooner he gets back, and I'll just say what I just said a minute ago, the next chance that presents itself to him, you've got to put your laces through that ball and as low and hard as possible. And, mm. I, and I, will, I will say as well, credit to, to the fans on Saturday because they were getting behind him. They were singing his name and trying to kind of... They can, I mean, you can see from Dykes, he is someone that does try. It's not working for him at the minute. I mean... And what you see on social media and what you see you hear at the ground are two very, very different things. And I thought, you know, when he got taken off, you know, there was a decent reception from when he went off. So, you know, he because, you know, it's all very well and good saying, I'll bring someone else in, this and that. But at the moment, he's what they've got and you've got to go with what you've got. And um, I mean, is it a sign that the fact he is getting in positions, Kev? And missing yeah, well, the is like, is no, that... That's a positive that he's getting in those positions. Because, like I said, if you come off the pitch and you haven't had a kick and you haven't had a chance on goal, that's when I'll be more disappointed. Because then now you're questioning your movement, uh, then you're questioning your service, then that can become an argument with the with the, the midfielders or the wingers. You're not putting the ball in for me. Yes, I am. You're not making the runs. And then it all gets a little bit silly. But like I said about being the toughest position on the pitch is because there's so many disappointments as being a centre-forward. Because you could have a really good game and uh, you miss a, a sitter in the last minute, you're like, with the fans and with yourself, aren't you? So that's yeah. a tough, tough, mentally, it's a tough position. And I guess as well, it's, it's similar for a goalie, isn't it? In a centre forward, there's nowhere to hide, really. Yeah. I mean, you the goalie make five world-class saves, but then nil-nil lets one through his legs in the, in the last minute, then it's like everyone's pointing the finger. But then uh -huh. it's tough. I suppose you've got all that pressure as well, like, you know, the lads are on win bonuses, et cetera, et cetera. And if you'll miss your, your put through chances, you know, you're going in with that on your mind as well. You're worrying about that. You're worrying about am I scoring goals. There's a lot more to it than just sort of, oh, I'm tipping that. Yeah, that, that, the outside pressures of just sort of what people are saying about you on on, on, on Twitter, you know what I mean? I mean, I would say that would be the least of his worries. <laughs> you know, you've got personal pride, every player has, and you want to do well. And not only that, but you also you want to do well for yourself, well for the team, well for your family. And then, good point, Ian, about, you know, there's win bonuses on the line and and all that and stuff. And you want to keep your place. Mm. But Ian, like I said, I mean, I mean, it wasn't just Dykes in this situation, was it? We can't just single him out because there was other players who had, you know, the chances kind of fell to all different players, which, you know, it's kind of like a team problem at the moment. You know, the chair one for me was the biggest one. Armstrong yeah. does great, cuts it back across. And I know it didn't even result in a shot on goal, but he's so close to the goal. And you just feel yeah. like if he just takes a touch and... He's got to get let, a touch in the scene, isn't it? Yeah, or even just hits it first time. It's I don't know, he sort of went for it with his foot and like wrong foot maybe just didn't get the contact. He didn't make the contact that he needed to make. But yeah, it's just it seems like a whole team problem at the moment where just in those moments of quality where you need it, apart from Chris Willock, who we'll come on to in a minute, it's just they're not taking the chances. Yeah, and I think as well, it's, it's like conceding that first goal as well. Yeah. If Rangers score first... First goal's win, massive, isn't they it? They win that game easy. You give the team like Rotherham... You know, well, I thought the same against Blackpool as well. If Dykes 
puts it away, yeah. I don't think Blackpool come back and get a result yeah. there. I think QPR win that fairly comfortably. But... Yeah. As Mark Warburton always say, like you give a team a lead, they've got something to cling on to. You put yeah. them behind the ball and waste time and stuff like that. And then the team's trying then too hard to try and get back into the game. And it's, yeah, so, I mean, they've got to start better, really. I mean, you can blame the strikers all you want, but again, another sloppy goal to concede, much like the goal against Blackpool, where, you know, defenders not clearing the ball. You've got to clear the ball. You know, clear your lines. Just put it in the put it in the stand. Put it, you know, but don't let it bounce. That's basics. You're taught that. You know, the nine year old. Don't let the ball bounce in the box. Just get rid of it. Yeah, um, like he was almost trying to take take a touch. Maybe I know it came to him very quickly, um, but it did look almost like he was trying to control it and play out. But yeah, like I said, you need to get your foot through it, don't you? In that, that mm. situation. So, um, but yeah, um, well, yeah, Kev. I mean, obviously, like I say, Dykes. He's kind of struggling at the moment. Has scored this season, so it's not like he's still waiting on the first goal, but. With the striker situation at the moment, obviously we know they're looking for a striker. We know that they'd like Cameron Archer, but I mean, who doesn't want Cameron Archer in the championship? And Steven Gerrard doesn't seem to want to let him go out and loan at the moment as well. So, but do they need, is it just now come down to just a lack of kind of quality in those areas? Do they need to add someone that has that quality or is it just a matter of trying to let Dykes and Armstrong improve? over the course of this season, hopefully become the players that QPR need them to be? Or is it just a case of if they want to do well this season, got to get someone in that is more instinctive in front of goal? I mean, I look back at when like Naki Wells was playing, you know, Naki Wells probably doesn't do as much off the ball or, you know, holding up like Lyndon Dykes does, but he was clinical when the chances came to him. Do you feel like they need that kind of player or where are you on that? Well, I think that I've been very vocal. I think we need a striker. And that is, and that will just uh, to to help the team and to help um, the club to move forward and to to try and achieve something this season. But that doesn't to say that Lyndon Dykes or Sinclair Arsenal or Macaulay Bond haven't got a role to play this season. They'll be needed. I do think that that QPR need a certain type of striker, or maybe more of a penalty box striker. But you're saying is it Cameron Archer? Who else is there out there that is possible considering the financial restrictions that QPR seem to be under? Um, well, he said it the other day, didn't he? It's freezing loans is what they're looking at. So yeah, it's, it's but, unless they sell someone, obviously, which changes things. But I mean, McCauley Bond wasn't on the bench again, or was he? No, he's not involved again. It's he that's, looks, that's looks that's days look numbered, don't they? His days look numbered because each, you know, what I mean, he's a he's a two million pound striker and he hasn't even getting on the bench, and it's not as if QPR free free scoring at the moment. So he, he his days looks number, but do we know who wants to take him? Are they going to pay his wages? It's, there's so much things and um, mm. behind the scenes that we don't really know about. So what amount of money is, uh, is available? For instance, if Cameron Archer is available, do we have to pay a certain amount of his wages, all of his wages? Is there a loan fee? Can we afford it? Is Macaulay Wong going to go somewhere? If he goes out on loan, are they going to pay the majority of his wages? Are they going to give us a loan fee? I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure that, that that's a possibility. So there is a lot of factors of, of getting the players in. Yeah. And I just while I'm going to put a clip in here that you can listen to now with Beal talking about Sinclair Armstrong and why he's not uh, quite ready to start and why he needs a bit of patience. I think, listen, I think media around football, I, I love media. You know, I, I'm really open with you guys when I spoke. Some people have got to read the signs that I was throwing out over the last few weeks. He's a young boy. 21 days ago he made his debut. And people are calling for him to start. He, physically, he looked tired today from the exertions of Tuesday. 
There's some areas of his game that he needs to pick up on. What he's not lacking is natural enthusiasm, pace and power. But you've got to trust us behind the scenes. It's been my job for 20 years to develop players to, to go on. And I've seen a lot of players. Sinclair will do really well if everyone just gives him time and patience. And, you know, it, it, we have to be, you have to be mindful that his whole world's changed in three weeks. It's a boy that came over from Ireland a year ago. He's played, gone on two loans. He's not spent much time in our club. I come in, we decide to keep him in even though we have numerous loan offers. He will have a really good season if people just stay off him a minute. Just be careful. Now this is someone's son that I'm entrusted in looking after, not just as a football player but also uh, as a young human being and Sinclair's doing fine at the moment. Um, he beats himself up because he rides the waves of highs and lows and he's not the only one who missed an opportunity today but I just feel that, you know, the, the furore around him we'll bring him on at the speed that, that he shows us we're not going to rush this young man um, Kev do you kind of agree with what Beal's saying there like that Armstrong just needs to be afforded the time and the patience from the fans that you know a lot of calls for him to start now but you know he's played only a handful of professional games and I say professional national league's not kind of a professional league now but technically it's not and you know most of the games he's played have been for teams in the National League, Oldershot and Torquay, I believe he was on loan at. I hope they got that right. Um, but I mean, obviously he's done well since he's come on, hasn't he? But he's not scored yet. He's had some big chances as well. Do you feel like he's just got to be given the time now just to, and he's kind of in a good place? Because I, I personally feel like he's, he's his role is well suited to him at the moment. He's coming on with sort of half an hour, 20 minutes to go and he's causing a lot of problems with defences and, you know, he set that chance up for chair that probably should have been taken. So are you kind of I think agree with that? He looks to me uh, at the moment as an impact player, but there might be there might be a call for him to start a game, and you never know because he, he might be saying to the manager, "Why don't you start me? I, I could be just as uh, makes just as big as an impact starting." Until we actually see it, we can't judge it. But relying on a nineteen-year-old like you said who hasn't really played that many professional games, I think it's a little bit. Um, a little bit tough on him. I, I mean, for his development, I would say alone would be for a season that um, a League Two, League One club would do, would probably you think, yeah, do you think that'd be better for him. He's better for his 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 career at this stage. Mm. But like I said, we're not a free scoring team at the moment, and we and we need him. And he's again, he's come close. His finishing hasn't been great. That's something he obviously has to work on. But he's got good power and pace and he's been a good impact for QPR coming off the bench. Yeah, because Beal said like he doesn't want him to go and play for another team because he wants him around QPR and he wants to work with him and try and improve him, which I guess that's what he feels like is best for him being around. Because he's certainly showing like in, in appearances off the bench that he's good enough to play the role he's doing at the moment in the championship. But I mean, that kind of brings me on to my point as well, Kev. Like, I know you've got some thoughts on this, but I mean, a lot's been made about kind of development and improvement um, at QPR this season and you know Beal said on a couple of occasions that you know get behind the players we've got here now as we touched on a minute ago because they might be the players that are you know playing in the team for the rest of the year because of the financial constraints on the club but with, with like Dykes and the other players is it a case of being able to coach them and improve them do you think or is it just a case that QPR have got to get better quality players in the door like where are you kind of on, on that debate? Um, well Lyndon Dykes I mean you can always continue to improve at any stage of your career the more yeah. practice you're in, uh, 
There's no doubt about that. I mean, Sinclair Armstrong is is new. I, I do believe he needs to improve his technique, left foot, right foot, and finishing. And the only way you do that is by practicing, uh, striking the ball every day. Uh, Lyndon Dykes, I think it's more of a, a confidence thing and a, uh, a mental thing for him at the moment. Mm. Um, I think, like we said, he's he's a little bit anxious and and. The opportunities when he does get them is, and the ones that he's missed is when he's actually had a little bit of time to think about it, where the goal he scored against Middlesbrough was great ball in for free kick and he gets his head and, and like you said, didn't have time to think about it, just done it instinctively. So, but there is, um, look, you think Claire Armstrong's a young lad. Of course, he's got, um, he, he's got potential to improve and to learn the game. And by doing that, you have to just be training every day and you learn on the job, really. And playing matches is, you know, there's nothing more better for a football player to learn is from game experience. Let's say that. How do players, it's obviously like players do improve over time when they develop, but we know that we're not saying that. But like, is, is playing games and like just training well, like, is that the biggest way they improve is, is in up compared to like individual coaching regimes and working on your weaknesses? Like, how is it, how do players improve overall from your experience? Well, my experience would be if you're so when I left when I was at QPR and I came out of the youth team and I went and then trained with the first team, you have to improve or else you sink or swim. You have to think mm. quicker, you have to run quicker. So I would be training in the youth team up against the youth team centre half. I then go and train over with the first team and I'm up against Alan McDonald and Danny Maddox and Darren Peacock, top defenders, strong defenders. So for me to get the better of them, I have to be, maybe I was like just training at seven out of 10 over in the youth team pitch. Now to get the better of them, I've got to be at 10 out of 10. And so you improve all the time by, by training with better players. It's, and then after the training, you'd say to a coach, Come, uh, can we do some finishing? Or can I get a winger to put some balls in the box for me? He needs to practice his crossing. So you just sort of work on, on your technique and, and stuff like that. Another big thing as well is when you come against the first team goalkeepers. I remember doing a shooting session against Jan Stachel. I couldn't, I was hitting shots, my best shots. <laughs> he was just doing that, doing that. I was like, oh my God, I need to improve big time here to, to, to do anything in football. And do you think that's what Sinclair Armstrong will probably be going through now as well? Like a similar thing? A little bit, yeah. But, but, but by training with like a first team or training, with the first team players at QPR, you, you're going to improve. You have to, because like I said, you've got to think quicker, you've got to run quicker, you've got to be stronger. And it's and the managers and that are like judging you on, on your training performances, wherever you want to play. Where if he's playing for the under 21s, he's going to play all the time, isn't he? Whether he trains well or not, he's going to play. Mm. Not first team. You've got to train properly. And then, and then the manager will pick you. Because I think you said, like, when we spoke and not on the podcast, but you said to us before, like, you didn't get a lot of individual coaching in your career. Like, you, it was, you didn't get a lot of that, really. Is that? Sort of, I just thought, I, me personally, just learn on the job. And you'd watch, I'd be nothing, and watching football all the time, and watching strikers who you, who you liked as a player and what runs they made. But you wouldn't like an individual coach to, to tell you how to kick a ball, mm. you don't know how to kick the ball when you're like nine, ten, eleven. Really yeah. Hard. Does it cut to a point where it's like you know what you should be doing, 
and yeah. then it's just about maximizing what you've got basically and that and that you said for games and there'd be some uh center forward coaches out there i mean we had roger cross he was a reserve team manager and he was excellent for the strikers because after every training session or after the morning training he'd say uh kevin duh, 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 we're going out in the afternoon practice finishing and i'll be like oh brilliant yeah good and then he'd give you little pointers of making runs and stuff You've got to watch and you've got to learn on, on the job, I think. And I think, I think as well, I mean, I spoke to Sinclair when he was on loan last year and he's, he's he's a really nice kid. And he was sort of speaking in real relish when I spoke to him about just watching Charlie Austin and Andre Gray. He was sort of saying, well, you know, these guys are scoring the Premier League, watching how they shoot, what they do in training and just asking questions and learning. And so I think he's got a real thirst for kind of getting better, which is kind of encouraging to see. And, you know, in a short time, really, let's be... This face facts, he's already usurped a two million pound striker who's scored heaps of goals at the national level, scored goals in League One, scored goals in the championship, but he can't even get on mm -hmm. the side now. So already he's made strides. Um, because he's coming off the bench and he, he's making an impression. But I mean, in terms of I don't know we talk about coaching and you know, but how how much time does a manager have to coach during midweek? You you're playing sort of Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, days off, recovery, etc. Well, well, I mean, Warburton spoke about that last year a lot. I remember him saying yeah. constantly that you don't get time to train. You yeah. just recovery game, recovery yeah. game. That's shaping that. But I think with, with someone like Sinclair, it's probably learning. It's not just a shooting and finishing. I think it's probably how do you pin a centre back? How do you kind of, you know, all the little art you need to be as a striker. What you, you know, how do you get him catch a centre back off guard? All these sort of little things you learn as you get older. That's what he's got to learn. Just to kind of the nuances of being a centre forward. It's because at the moment he, he's got pace, he's got power, and he's raw. But I mean, he got taken out off the ball on Saturday, which was a real kind of welcome to big boys football. Hmm. It's off the ball in the back of play behind the referee's back. A Rotherham player just poleaxed him <laughs> in the middle of the pitch, and you know all these sort of things. He's going right, to he had it at Blackpool as well. He got everyone yeah. when he came on, didn't he? As well, so yeah, but that was, that they're going to do that foul. to him, aren't they? That was just a foul. That was someone he beat for pace. But this was off the yeah. ball, just a kind of <laughs> dig in the kind of um, in back play. So it did, hmm. it's. It's encouraging to see where he's going, but I mean, it's a. I mean, Bill's right as well. He's not the savior. He's a nineteen-year-old kid who's, you know, learning his trade and, you know, what they're doing with him at the minute. I think it's quite admirable the way they, they, they they're working with him and just sort of give him a little taste here and there. And and um, yeah, it's good to see. Yeah, I agree, Kev. Do you agree with what Ian said there about like not being able to coach much during the week, like and that probably the reality of the situation? Because like, and as well, like with someone like Dykes, is there? Kind of limited what you can do now. He's played a lot of games. Can he be coached to improve, or is it just about because he knows how to finish, doesn't he? He's scored goals before, but it's just like a mental thing, maybe. Like you said, you can you can improve all the time. There's no doubt that you can improve, but you got to put the work in. And you and like like Ian said about Sinclair Armstrong, he wants to learn, and if, if players want to learn and get better, they will. Um, but there is, is if you're playing Saturday midweek Saturday. We've gone through this. Saturday you play. You're in on probably Sunday for a massage. Monday's just a light bit, of, a light bit. You probably train about fifty percent. Might do a little bit of a five-a-side, bit of shape. Might do a little bit of finishing. Then you play Tuesday, Wednesday off. Thursday fifty percent. Do you know what I mean? Then Friday mm -hmm. shape and tactical, tactical stuff for the game on the Saturday. So when you're playing midweek games as well as Saturday, there ain't really much training you can do because the last thing you want to do is turn up on a Saturday and you, you left your legs on on the training pitch during the week. So the, That's when, what I was going to say as well. Like, when support, sorry, 
and it used to make me laugh. It's not laugh, but people used to say, you know, how long did you train today? And I would say when we were playing, only an hour. Are you not living in the real world? You've only done one hour of training, one hour of work. And I'd be like, yeah, I know what you're saying, but we can't leave our legs on, because if I can't run on the Saturday, <laughs> I'm not going to say, do you know what I mean? You're, we'll be getting booed off. So you can't do too much because you need to be, have as much energy as possible for the real deal is when the supporters turn up pay their money and that's when you got to perform and yeah, it's, very, you touch. it's very rare like uh, like i said before where the man uh, a player is rubbish in training but then he's brilliant in the match and that can happen there are some players out there who really poor tra trainer but well, delta rap was famously like that wasn't he from everyone you hear speak about him yeah but brilliant on the match and then there was players who were brilliant in training but not so good in the match so but at the end of the day we discuss we we always discuss on this podcast the matches, don't we? We don't really talk about what goes on in training. Yeah, yeah can I just ask you? Sorry, Dad. Um, when you broke into the first team, because obviously you didn't play any, you, you made when you played, made your debut. Did you were you starting or did you come off the bench? I started, but I mean, Bill touched on it after the um, the game on Saturday that how much it takes out of Armstrong, the kind of the the mental toll on him and what. How did you find that? I mean, because obviously you see what, but just the kind of the pace and the kind of the mental side of it, and the thing. I mean, how 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 big a factor is that in? Yeah, it was draining. It was draining. I, I played my first game was Man United on the Saturday, and then we played Sheffield Wednesday on a Tuesday or the Wednesday, and I scored the winner, and I remember going to bed that night, and just the whole game just in my eleven o'clock I was in bed. I didn't get to sleep till four. So the game was just, I was just excited, one exciting and the whole game's going through your, in, through your brain. And Sinclair Armstrong, I would say, would be similar. After the Blackpool game, Sinclair Armstrong probably didn't go to sleep. I might be wrong. I'm just thinking. And he, that chance, that, that header would be going through his mind constantly. Thinking, what could I have done better? Why didn't I head it down? What, do you know what I mean? It would just be spinning around in your head. And that's the same. And then it is draining physically, but it's also mentally draining. Well, I mean, because physically you must be absolutely shattered and you really want to go to sleep, but mentally you're just awake and yeah, reliving so, it, right? Yeah, be interesting when you speak to him and if you ask him what the mental side of are you, you know, after a game, how do you find getting to sleep? Because a, a, a midweek game, it's very difficult to go to sleep after a match. I always used to find it because you're so sort of, the energy still going from the from the game, so uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's something very new for him, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and the excitement, and like you said, he's probably desperate to score, desperate. And if he's missing a couple of chances, he's probably thinking, oh, how, "How do I make that better?" Is that something that comes with just of experience that you kind of like what Dykes is going through at the minute? You miss a chance, you just put it put it in the back of your mind and forget about it, or did you find it as you even late in your career when you you might have missed a good chance to to win the game and you were sort of maybe more missed seasoned? Did you did you did you did you find it you'd still play in your mind or, yeah, or just put it behind you? Definitely, and then you you miss a chance which missed loads in my time, and uh, you probably would just I want to go out on the training pitch and and practice that chance again and do it. Do you understand? Go through where where you, where I went wrong or 
or something like that or you know if that chance presents itself a similar chance presents itself what should i do differently and like i've been saying it now what i said for Lyndon dykes is hard and low across the goalkeeper as hard and low as you can across him yeah okay i've got to say i know exactly what you're talking about i mean when i miss a big sitter of five aside i'm i'm up all night i can't can't go to sleep i'm really having the chance in my head i'm practicing in the garden the next day <laughs> yeah, you're a pro, you're a pro. Yeah, mate. Right. Um, but Ian, I mean, I can't can't do this podcast without mentioning Chris Willock. Another goal for him on Saturday. He's you know not really played much this year because obviously he's coming back after that really bad hamstring injury that he had surgery on last season. But when he has played, he's looked even better than he was last season. You'd have to say he looks a bit bulkier as well. He looks stronger. I'm not sure if that will impact his speed or not. It doesn't really have seemed to, but he looks a lot stronger. He's holding. I mean, he was doing it anyway last year, but he's holding people off really well. I mean. He's just going from strength to strength, isn't he? I mean, we don't want to talk about it because hopefully he stays at QPR this year because he's so important for the team. But when you look at someone like, I mean, you mentioned this to me before about Keen, like Keen Lewis Potter, who's obviously a very good player, who's gone to Brentford now for, I think, could be like 20 million. Like, Willick's got to be worth a lot now, hasn't he, with what he's been doing so far this season and last season as well. Yeah, well, Lewis Potter set the kind of set the market, really, isn't he? If he's I think so, yeah. Or 15, 16 million. You know, Chris Willock's done far more than he has, although, he, you know, he did okay in his first season at Hull last year. Um, and I think, you know, scoring two goals and two starts isn't going to devalue his uh, his price. And also, I think, if you're looking at it, how Rangers fell apart without him at the back end of last season, and also the way he carried the team after Christmas, you know, sort of after the Christmas period when Chair was away, that kind of you know, set his status a little bit higher, really. Um, I mean, I'm not too sure. I mean, if you're Mick Bill, he needs money to kind of strengthen the air as he wants. But do you want to sell a player that's as good as Chris Willock when he's now just oh, getting I wouldn't. Back I think, surely you'd want to keep hold of him this for this season, at least, because you see how much better they are with him in the team. Yeah. I just think, I know what you're saying, but it's like, you know, it's a, tri yeah, it is I, a tricky I, one. I, I agree, but you're in that position where, you know... Yeah, 20 million and he's got, you know... Yeah, FFP, a lot, and a then lot you've more. Got like, will you get with his contract status? I think he's got this year and another year uh, from next season. So yeah, it's approaching that renewal stage, isn't it? Where they got to try and get yeah, him, so they either a longer one. You know, do what they did with Luke Freeman and give him a contract, give him a new contract, and then sell him for a price. Kind of six months later, which works mm. for all parties. Um, you know, he's an ambitious young player. He must be looking and thinking, I can get a move here. Um, but you know, we know how football works, domino effects of players going. I mean, if Gordon goes for 60 million with oh, Chelsea, Jesus, yeah. it is stupid money, <laughs> crazy money. You'd be driving him down to London for that, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, he's a good player, but I mean, it's mad the valuations on players nowadays, yeah. isn't it? Hey, how much would you have gone I for, mean, Kev? <laughs> I mean, billions, <laughs> and I'm thinking completely hypothetically because you know nothing's happened or it possibly will happen. But if he goes, if they've got money to spend, clubs often will go, who's played well against us in the past? That Chris Willock, he tore John Joe Kenny a new one in that cup game last year. Let's have a look at him. We can get him for 25 million or whatever. Mm. Then you're in a position where you go, well, you have to sell him. But at the same time, the future of the club and future rebuilding, you need the money that you could get from selling a Chris Willock to kind of fund what, Bill wants to do going forward. So you're kind of in a rock and a hard place, really. 
I mean, if you can get, you know, 20 million for a player you bought by 700 grand two years ago, that's phenomenal. Oh, it's great business. I think it will come to that point as well, like in the near um, future. I don't think it'll be long before it does, but I just don't think we're at that point now. I think he's got to stay at least hopefully until January. Like, it's not but at the same time, January either. He's well, got this year and then next year. So, a decision. Yeah. And yeah. You, oh, it's coming, definitely. So, but you've got that position as well. Like, well, when everyone's fit and available, is this team, can it make a push towards the playoffs? And you're a better team. You've got you're a much better chance of doing that with Chris Willock in your team. I mean, he's played twice or unbeaten twice. He, he is the key player in that team. And yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? What do you, and then, You've got that situation. If you do sell him close to the deadline, you've got all of a sudden a load of money to play with. You want to buy a replacement. Teams are going to up the price of what they want. Yeah, what can you do that late? That's the issue, isn't it? You know, so, I mean, really, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You don't know. They might be sort of having a chat with his advisors and saying, look, what can we pay you to keep you here? And we'll we'll shake your hand and say, when a, a deal comes in in the summer, we'll let you go. That would be, for me, that would be the ideal situation for QBR to get him you know, to sign on maybe a two-year extension, up his money, making the highest pay player at the club and go, you know, and at the end of the season, if Rangers don't get promoted, you, you know, the club and the player have both got a chance to to go. But, I mean, football doesn't work like that, does it? You know, the players and me want to be doing what's best for him. He doesn't really care what price he goes for. If, it, if a Premier League club come in and knows the club have got to sell him, then he'll, be, he's happily, he'll happily go. But if the club are trying to charge too much money for him then he's sort of stuck where he is so it's that sort of yeah no I agree I think what you just said there is best case scenario when you get him on a bit of a longer deal you keep him for another year or at least and then you sell him on them but like you say he's only got two years left on his deal so you know when you get 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 down to a year left suddenly QPR's bargaining position goes down a lot doesn't it because they know they can lose him for free in a year's time so that decision is coming, but yeah, I hope for QPR say they do keep hold of him for this year at least because he just makes such a difference when he comes in with his ability on the ball and he makes other people around him better. And I thought, you know, like going back to Saturday, one of the real positives, as I said before, was that Roberts, he kind of changed it a bit, didn't he? He went from more like a 4 2 3 1 type shape with chair um, as the attacking mid and, you know, Willock and Roberts. And like, it's very flexible. They're all kind of moving around, they're all linking up with each other on different mm. sides of the pitch and up. That looked really exciting to me. I think they're all really good players, and you know, it's just the missing piece is just someone that can put the ball in the back of the net at the moment, and that and that comes down to not Willock, but the you know, chair missed one as well. That said, that just is the weakness at the moment. I think for QPR, so that's what. And that's I think what, what you're to. saying there, like the more they play together, the better that's going to become. Yeah, exactly. They've hardly played together, have they? So, yeah, do you agree, Kev, about Willock? I mean, what you got to keep hold of him for this season at least? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, the ideal situation that Ian touched on it is put him on a longer contract. They probably they probably have a release clause in there, and that would have mm. to be that would be probably the best for both parties, I'd say. Um, yeah, he's 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 pretty much the talisman at the club at the moment, so we, the, the team needs him because I would worry if he goes, what would happen? I well, I don't think they'd be in major yeah, trouble, but it weakens a lot. They have to have behind the scenes a contingency plan of well, if he goes, we can go in. We'll be in for these sort of players. They'll have, they'll have to have a list of players which they're interested. Yeah. Well, in. I, I think so, sorry, Roger Kibb. I, I think that the, the Taylor 
Richards signing is sort of in mind with that. He's a kind of similarly minded sort of player. Mm. That sort of eight stroke 11, 10 kind of midfielder type. So maybe that is the first step towards it. I don't know. They've got, I mean, they've got a deal in place to sign him at the end of the season. I think the only thing that's stopping it is there's, if QPR were to get relegated, then the, the deal is off, I believe. So as long as they stay <laughs> up, like they come to that then. QPR player next year. So that sort of seems to me as a, as, a, as a contingency signing. But I mean, obviously, you know, the chance to get all those players playing together would be, be ideal. But what do you think, though, Kev? I mean, you, you, you know, you're around football and that. What's the kind of the consensus on Willock outside of in, in, in the wider in the wider football world? I think um, that people will be taking note. They will have seen his goal against Middlesbrough, and then they see that. I mean, they'd also know about his like he was injured at the end of last season, and he's been in and out at the start, so they'll be monitoring that. But um, like you say, if like. It's just a bit of a domino effect in football. Like I'm not saying Everton, but Anthony Gordon goes to Chelsea, then they're looking for now a wider sort of like an attacking mid. Do you know what I mean? And then there'll be a list, and he might be on it. Hmm. And then it comes down to price and and stuff. But if someone sells one player, then they will. Well, we need the replacement. So once one goes, it's like you did say, it's a domino. So look, he needs to. I think I think he'll be here now. I don't think he'll go. I think he'll be here to Christmas, and and if yeah, he has, I, a, I agree. He has a good three month, three or four months. Then you know you're down to eighteen months of your contract. Then decision has to be made because you can't be going in. You can't have a player, a young player like that, in the last year of his contract because nine times out of ten he's gonna he's gonna just sit, see that year out and go on a free. Yeah, I think it's like just the last point on Willick as well. Like if he goes like when it whenever he goes to the Premier League, which I think he will. He's not like he, he shouldn't be bought to be a winger because he's got to be a bit play a bit narrower and get on the ball. And I just worry like if he goes to the Premier League, whether he's going to be able to do that in that division, you know, whatever team he's playing for, they've got to buy him with a view to be like, right, we're going to get this guy on the ball. Because I mean, we see a lot of players go, don't they? And they just kind of get shifted out wide and don't really make an impact. And then they get labeled as like flops or whatever. I think same as Eze, like, you know, he's gone Palace and he's doing really well because he's actually getting on the ball in the positions that he was for QPR and he's been. He looks like he's playing a little bit deeper even for Palace, but they've obviously brought him with a plan in mind. Whereas, you know, Gordon goes to Everton, they bring Willick in. You know, we're not saying this is going to happen. This is just a hypothetical, but they're different players, aren't they? And, you know, I'd I'd hate to see it kind of be a panic buy and him not do as well as he could because he is a fantastic player and he's come on, you know, to to think it's pretty mad to think that when Warburton brought him in, he wasn't even a regular starter, was he? He was kind of the first year he was in and out and only got good towards the end. So, you know, it's been great from QPR and I hope he does stay for at least a little bit longer. Um, all right, we'll move on to um, to Watford then on Saturday, um, our predictions and our kind of preview for what we think might happen. Um, yeah, Watford unbeaten with two wins and three draws so far from the opening five games, drew nil-nil at Preston last time out. Haven't scored a lot of goals, but not really conceded a lot either, sort of keeping it tight um, at the back. Um, I think the big story with them at the moment, obviously, is they come down from the Premier League and had a great attacking trio of Jao Pedro, Ismail Asar and Emmanuel Dennis, but that's obviously been split up now. Dennis has gone to Forest. Pedro looks like he's got a uh, lot of interest from uh, Newcastle as well. Um, so, you know, Asar as well getting linked to Aston Villa. So, you know, there was a lot of excitement there and that's kind of gone away now and they're kind of in a bit of a period of change, I think. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Pedro and Sar as well have missed out of injury as well recently. So that, you know, if Sar's, uh, sorry, if Pedro 
is uh is still there then you know if you might be injured anyway to to miss out um for qpr clark salter and richard still out as is amos um but i think willick back as we've touched on is a massive boost for the club um kev come to you first obviously gonna be a tough game in it watford in the premier league last year i've got some very good players that even though like touched on there some of them might not be involved um how, how do you see this one going uh good question tough game um they've got a lot of power and pace and if you know, Pedro and Saar, I don't know, if, did you say they might be out? Yeah, so they've missed game. They've missed out with injury recently. And obviously, Saar was meant to go Villa, wasn't he? But that's kind of fallen through now by the sounds of it. But, but I mean, Pedro looks, Newcastle, that looks like a real possibility. So, who it's knows? Might not play. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be a tough game. But I think uh, we've got some good players as well. Sort of a bit of a derby game. Um I'm going to go 1-1. One, one. I fancy get a point at Watford. Yeah. Ian, do you agree? I quite fancy Rangers for this one. I think they <laughs> Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, come on now. We, we're not to, This Watford team, they ain't, it's, they're, they're not Fulham from last year, are they? I mean, they've got some good players. I mean, you know, I mean, didn't they lose like 14 home games in a row last year? So, mm. you wouldn't play the biggest road as a fortress. Um, they're not scoring loads of goals despite, you know, the firepower they have available to them. Um, all those players have played in the championship before. Um, I remember Saar being marked out the game by, you know, an elderly Lee Wallace um, a few years back when, when you know, Rangers won there with uh, um, Albert Adoma's goal. Um, it'll be hard. It'll be a very tough game. Don't get me wrong. But I think the signs of the way the Rangers played last Saturday going forward, I think there's lots of points, a lot of signs of encouragement. And, um, I'm going to go Rangers to win 2-1. Yeah, nice. I'm quite I mean, confident about it as well. <laughs> I, I I, don't... Actually, I'm going to be kind of optimistic from QPR. I mean, I'm going to go not exactly the same as Kev, but I also think it will be a draw, maybe like a goalless draw. I know, Ian, you're going to the game, mate, so I hope it feels like it's not a goalless draw and you do get to see some action. But, yeah, I mean, I think like Pedro and Saar, if they play, it might be slightly different, but... I could, I, you know, if they miss out, I, you know, like I said, I don't think Watford are amazing. Obviously, they didn't score against Preston on Saturday and they went for a kind of new front three and the strikers kind of struggled in that game. So, but they are very good defensively. They are pretty solid. So, I think goalless draw maybe, take a point. I think that'd be quite a good result going away to a promotion hopeful team um, and getting a point, even though, like I so said, QPR haven't won in a little while. I still think that'd be quite a good result. But, yeah. Let's see what happens. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for watching or listening. If you're listening to us on streaming platforms, um, do follow our feed and leave us a positive review if you are. And if you're watching us on YouTube, um, do remember to leave a like, subscribe to the channel and comment on what we've said um, below, what your thoughts are. And we'll be back again very soon. Thanks. Podcast Network.